Well, we are glad that you're here, and it's exciting to be a part of uh, this discovery of loving where we live, because I know we want to love where we live, and sometimes we do, and sometimes we don't. But God, of course, says we got to love where we live. We got to love the people. We got to love the place. We got to love. That's what we're here for. And uh, part of what we recognize is that's a part of building God's kingdom. That's what we're here for, is to build God's kingdom to transform the culture. And we do that, I believe, in at least one of two ways, and I think both of those ways are tremendously important. One is through the reading of God's Word, the incorporation of God's Scripture in our lives, we know that the number one way to catalyze our faith and to grow our faith is to read God's Word. It's why we're encouraging you to download the YouVersion app and make Treach your home uh, church. When you do that, you will be fed every single day throughout this worship series and the next several worship series, daily Scripture and daily devotion. Almost 200 of you have downloaded that. I want to double that within the next week, okay? So you can scan this QR code. Uh, You'll be handed a, a deal outside the sanctuary as well afterwards. But this helps us know God's Word and apply God's Word to who we are, and that's always important. And of course, a part of what we learn from God's Word is that we're to love. We're to love God and we're to love other people, and that becomes critical in how we grow our faith and how we grow God's kingdom. That is the purpose, right? And so part of what we recognize is is that um, love is based in relationship. I I have to have a relationship with somebody in order to love them, even if it's a distant kind of relationship, because I can love my neighbor without necessarily knowing them intimately, but certainly knowing of them and knowing about them, right? And a part of what we recognize in this love is that it is in this shared relationship that real life transformation happens. It's not through a talking head. It's not through ideology. It's not through grand uh, programs. It's not through uh, all kinds of scripted things. It's through um, shared relationship. All of us know that whether it's with our spouse or with our siblings or with our close colleagues or with our neighbors, uh, with other family members, that it's in those close shared relationships that we discover love, that we understand what genuine love is that we are loved and that we can share love with other people. It's why Jesus would narrow down all of the law, all of the prophets, all of the rituals to a single thing, love. Love God, love neighbor. And when all is said and done, that's what transforms our hearts. It's what transforms the world. It's what builds God's kingdom, and that's what we need to be about. And so that's why we've discovered this series and why we want to share how it is that we can love where we live, because we know these people. We have relationships with them, and we want those shared relationships to manifest and make known God's love. It's why, as we uh, several months ago at the beginning of this year, created a new clear vision statement that helps us to better understand how it is we're going to transform the culture, how it is we're going to build God's kingdom. You may remember I I shared that with you last week. I remind you again that that clear vision statement goes something like this. We envision a community where people matter, brokenness is healed, and love is lived. Because we recognize that all three of those things need to be very tangible and real. People matter is about relationship and the transformation that comes through that. Brokenness is healed is about restoration and how we can restore God's creation. And love lived is literally service. Jesus said, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And we are called, therefore, uh, to live that love in very real and tangible ways. And so the Apostle Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, gives us a great example today of how people matter, because that's where we want to start this, uh, in this series is, if people matter, 
What does that look like with regard to love? If people matter, what does that look like with regard to how I live out the faith? If people matter, what difference does it make in how I encounter the world? Well, Paul the apostle had, uh, you know, was a phenomenal leader. He not only was the greatest church planter across uh, the generations, but uh, he wrote most of the New Testament. He traveled most of the then known world. He was the greatest of the apologists, that is to say, the person who defends the faith, who helps people to better understand it. In his travels, he would not only establish churches, but he would mentor and coach those churches. He would encourage them in, it, in the ways in which they could be faithful. And, and I'm convinced that in his last journey, what some uh, scholars refer to as his fourth missionary journey or his last missionary journey, he himself became transformed in a radical understanding of what it means for people to matter. You know, it's such a simple catchphrase, right? People matter. But what does it look like? Well, I'm convinced that in that last missionary journey, it's recorded in Acts chapters 27 and 28, that Paul reveals to us some very tangible ways for us to understand how people matter and what that difference is in our faith and in building God's kingdom when people matter. You may recall that um, in Acts chapter 21, uh, Paul gets arrested. He gets arrested. Uh, uh, it wasn't his first arrest, but it was essentially his last arrest. And he would, we would spend the rest of the book of Acts discovering how Paul could um, justify his faith, communicate the gospel, and also keep himself out of jail. He would present himself to multiple levels of the governing structures because he was a Roman citizen. And as a Roman citizen, he had the right to defend himself and to stay out of prison. And so these last several chapters of the book of Acts are recounting that. And then when we get to Acts chapter 27 and 28, he's on his final journey to defend his cause, to promote the gospel, to defend himself, and to present him to Caesar in Rome on this last journey. And while he's on this journey, he's on a ship with lots of prisoners who likewise either are trying to defend themselves or just going their way to jail. He takes a long journey on his way to Rome, and as a Roman citizen, he has several different privileges that he uh, uh, um, has amenable to himself. He gets to stop off at one place and visit with a friend. He gets to talk to the crew and justify his actions to the crew. He gets to offer his opinion even to the crew a couple of times. And while he's on this ship, they encounter a storm. In fact, Paul, before they left, before they broke dock, he told them, this isn't going to go well. There's going to be a big storm, and this is not going to go as we'd planned. And of course, they don't listen to him. In fact, they, they take a vote. It's one of the few in, in instances in Scripture where a vote is taken and the majority win, and, and, and it didn't go very well. You ever know or feel as though sometimes when we vote, it, it, it doesn't go very well? <laughs> in Scripture, it's real clear. It didn't go very well. The, the ship run aground. But as Paul was on the journey, um, they encounter this storm that he had predicted, that they knew would be a, a difficult circumstance. So bad was the storm that at one point they're literally throwing off cargo, even the tactile, uh, the tactile uh, tackle stuff that uh, helps keep them afloat. They, they were in such a bad storm, they didn't know what to do. They were trying every means they knew possible, both the shipmates and the sailors, as well as the prisoners who were on the ship with Paul. But at one point in the middle of the storm, Paul stands up to speak and to share 
his understanding of what God wants these people to know. And in part, what he begins to reveal is how important they are. Every last one of the people on the ship, and you'll discover there are over 270 people on the ship, again, both professionals and prisoners. And what Paul wants them to know is that every last one of them matters. Not their ideologies, not the way they voted, not the things that they perceive, not the things that they value, but each individual person made in the image of God is valuable and matters. And Paul wants them to know that. So beginning in verse 21 of Acts chapter 27, let's, let's figure out how does Paul help them to encounter that and how can we learn from that as well? So Paul stands up and he says, uh, no one had eaten for a long time. They're, they're in distress, right? They're in a storm. No one had eaten for a very long time. Finally, Paul called the crew together and said, man, you should have listened to me in the first place and not left Crete. He, you know, just every once in a while, he got to jab somebody, right? So uh, should have listened to me. You would have avoided all this damage and loss, but take courage. None of you will lose your lives even though the ship will go down. Now, I don't know about you, but, you know, there's good news and bad news in all of that, right? I mean, the good news is we're going to make it. The bad news is we're going down. And I just, you know, Paul's trying to be real clear. Verse 23, for last night, an angel of the, of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me. And he said, don't be afraid, Paul, for you will surely stand trial before Caesar. That was his goal, right? His whole goal was to get to Rome so that he could present his case before Caesar. And God is telling him, you're going to make it, Paul. What's more, God said, in his goodness, God has granted safety to everyone sailing with you. So take courage. For I believe God, Paul says, it will be just as God said, but we will be shipwrecked on an island. So Paul's just laying it out, right? I mean, clearly there's the bad news. We are going down. We are going to have a shipwreck. This isn't going to end well, but I need you to hear, Paul says, you're going to survive. Every last one of you, prisoner, professional. And I just need you to know that. So initially there's this great news. We are going to survive. But what I want to highlight right here right now is what Paul does to identify himself and what it is he needs to do because of who he is. Remember he says this, last night an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me. The God to whom I belong and the God whom I serve. Friends, I want to challenge every one of us to identify ourselves the way Paul identifies himself. Not, mind you, as a Jew, which he could have done, not as a prisoner, which he was, not as a Christian leader, which he was, not as one of the most prolific authors of what would become the New Testament, which he was. Paul identified himself as a child of God, a servant of God, the one to whom I belong. And I think in part what Paul is trying to share with you and me is that that's who we are too. When we claim faith in Jesus, we are no longer a teacher or a pastor or a police officer or a lawyer or an engineer. Or We are God's children. 
made in God's image, followers of the King, believers in Christ, right? Our identity is in Christ. It is no longer in what I do for a living or what I do for a hobby or kind of what I do around the world. I am God's chosen, selected follower, right? And that becomes important because it sets everything else in perspective. And it helps us to identify that what Paul then needs to do is not justify himself, not protect himself, which he could have rightfully done as a Roman citizen. He could have just been all about himself and all about me, myself, and I, right? But what he chose to do was identify himself as God's and then serve the other people on the boat with him. What would it look like if we began to be encouragers in the world as God's people? What would it look like if we began to demonstrate and bring hope to the world as God's people? What would it be like if, just as Paul does, he helps them to know that they matter, that no matter what their crime, no matter what their punishment that is to come, no matter what they are doing in their lives, that they matter to God? That's what Paul was saying. And he needed them to understand that without reservation, that as God's person, he would help them see God's desired outcome. And eventually, of course, that's what happens. They all survive because Paul conveys to them, God is with us. God will guide this ship. Yeah, it'll be hard. Yep, it'll be difficult. It's not going to be easy much like Joshua and Caleb when they went to the promised land with the other 10 folks and they spied it out and all 12 came back and 10 of them said, there's no way we're going to the promised land. It's never going to happen. But Joshua and Caleb, on the other hand, said, yeah, it's going to be hard. Yeah, it won't be easy. Yeah, those boys are big over there. But guess what? God said we could do it. God said it would happen. And therefore, they did. Paul is doing the same thing. He's trying to help them understand that God is with them even in the difficult times because they matter. Well, it wasn't done then. At some point, the storm gets even worse, and the, the crew themselves, the, the sailors, and perhaps even the ship captain are ready to abandon ship. It goes something like this beginning in verse 29. At this rate, they were afraid. Every last one of them. We would, be driven, uh, we would soon be driven against the rocks along the shore. So they threw out four anchors from the back of the ship and prayed for daylight. You know, it's pretty bad when the sailors are praying for daylight, right? Then the sailors tried to abandon ship. They lowered the lifeboat as though they were going to put out anchor from the front of the ship. They're trying to hide the fact that they're going to abandon ship. But Paul said to the commanding officer and the soldiers, you will all die unless the sailors stay aboard. So the soldiers cut the ropes to the lifeboat and let it drift away. And don't you know, as professional sailors, they could only see doom because their source of survival was now gone. And a part of what Paul is simply trying to say is, we're all in this ship together, friends, professional and prisoner. And unless we all stay together, unless we recognize the value of every person on the ship, unless we understand how important each person is, unless we realize people matter, we're all going to die. 
one for all, all for one. And so they, they do something tremendously dramatic for a professional sailor. They let the lifeboat go. And it begs a question for all of us in our own faith journey, in our own life, is sometimes we find ourselves when we identify individually and selectively what we believe in, we feel like we got to protect our territory. We feel like we've got to protect those ideologies that we align ourselves with, or we've got to protect those things that make us who we are. We've got to protect those things that somehow distinguish us as we, do, as we are ourselves. And, and we lose sight that there's a whole bunch of other people that matter to God. We lose sight of the fact that God has created every individual in God's image, and God desires that all will be saved because people matter. And I think this is not the first time Paul has actually demonstrated this. I mean, uh, Paul is doing a phenomenal job right here and right now of telling the professional sailors, you better stay on board. Otherwise, not only is the ship going down, but we're all going to die. You cannot cut loose. You cannot cut and run and ignore those who are in trouble. You cannot cut and run because you don't like these people and think that they're inhuman and not worth uh, anything. You've got to know that every person matters, prisoner and professional. I remember Paul doing this one other time, at least. Earlier in the book of Acts, you might remember that Paul and Silas go visit a uh, community and they um, uh, convince a woman to um, stop earning money for one of her keepers and they get thrown in jail. It's Acts chapter 16. And when they get thrown in jail, there's an earthquake, and the earthquake kind of shakes open the doors, and, and the, the, the jailer sees that they could just cut and run. And any normal human being would have cut and run. I don't know about you, but if an earthquake opened the doors to the prison in which I was residing, I would probably cut and run. I don't, I don't mean to tell you what your pastor would do, but it's probably what I would do. But they don't. And sometimes when we read that passage, we feel as though the power of God is in the, is in the, is in the uh, earthquake that bursts open the door. Sometimes we feel as though the power of God is in this supernatural event that makes something possible, the escape. But I wonder if the power of God is not in the fact that they stay so that the jailer's life could be saved, who, of course, eventually got baptized, all of his family and he because they witnessed that they mattered and their lives were transformed and they knew somehow that God loved them because Paul and Silas stayed rather than run. You see, people matter. And sometimes we lose sight of it because we're in our little silos or we think, well, this is what I believe and if you don't believe the same way, then I don't want anything to do with you. Or this is the ideology that I claim, and if you don't follow that same ideology, you're not really worth my time. But Paul was among prisoners. One could even call them enemies. Even the sailors who were about to abandon ship, who were tasked with keeping it afloat, even they were against him. But he points out, you're valuable, and they are valuable. And we are valuable because people matter, you see. So much so that Paul would eventually describe to them and encounter with them a holy meal. 
in the midst of the storm. Continuing in verse 33, just as the day was dawning, daylight has come. That's what they've been praying for. Paul urged everyone to eat. You, you've been so worried that you haven't touched food for two weeks, he said. Please eat something now for your own good, for not a hair of your head will perish. And all he's saying to everybody gathered is, man, I need you to know I love you. I care for you. I Eat something. Get sustenance. Take care of yourself. Let's do this together. But he's not done. Then he took bread. He gave thanks to God before them all. He broke off a piece and he ate it. And then everyone was encouraged and began to eat. All 276 of us who were on board after eating, the crew lightened the ship further by throwing the cargo of wheat overboard. He took, he blessed, he broke, he ate. Sounds like a holy meal that we just celebrated last Sunday. A meal to which everybody is invited because people matter. A meal of community, a a meal of the holy presence of God, a meal that helps us to know that Jesus is real and God's love is tangible and palpable. A meal that one can never forget, that helps identify for each one of us individually as we come to receive that we matter. You see, it's in shared relationship that lives are transformed. It's not in what we talk about or what we say we value or how we can point things out or how we can correct people's behavior. None of that transforms lives. But love does. Relationships do. And that's what Jesus did for you and for me and for all of the world. And all he's asking of us is to help people know that they matter just like you did when you received his forgiveness. Well, you know the story. The ship did wreck, <laughs> run right aground, tore everything up. But everybody survived. Everybody was saved, prisoner and professional. And I bet, though the text doesn't literally say this, that they all realized as they walked off onto Malta that every last one of them mattered, that every last one of them had worth and value, that somehow God's handprint and and mercy and grace had been bestowed upon them. This was Paul's goal. This was his desire, was to help them know, just as God wants you and I to know and the world to know, that people matter more than any stance, more than any pedagogy, more than any ideology. People matter, and that's what we've got to help people discover by the way we live and how we offer mercy and grace and demonstrate forgiveness and live justice. People matter. 
So much so was this a part of Paul's uh, desired goal and a part of who he was that I believe he became so transformed, this became a part of his everyday work. He, he moved from being a kind of a, 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 an apologist for the gospel to a demonstrator of the good news of Jesus, offering love and mercy. Paul did eventually make it to Rome, if you read Acts chapter 28. When he got to Rome, he was under house arrest. He spent the rest of his days in ministry, and this is how his ministry finished its work. Acts chapter 28, the very last two verses of Acts chapter 28. Paul stayed two full years in his own rented house. It doesn't say this, but he's under house arrest. He's rented a house, and he welcomed all people who came to visit him. He didn't cherry pick. He didn't say you don't belong or he didn't say, well, you don't believe this or you don't understand that or you, you, you watch that news or, or you, you belong to that part. He, he welcomed everybody. He welcomed all people and he boldly preached about the kingdom of God and he taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. And get this, nobody, <laughs> nobody stopped him because people matter and they understood, I feel convinced that when he welcomed anybody and everybody and he proclaimed the kingdom of God and he helped people to know of the love of Jesus Christ, that anybody, prisoner or professional, would know that they mattered. And because they knew that they mattered, they were open to the message. And because they were open to the message, many received the love of Jesus and proclaimed him as Lord and Savior and served him all of their days. You see, friends, there's only one, I believe, unmistakable and unstoppable behavior of the kingdom. It's love. And when we love our neighbors as God loves us, not only will people know that they matter, but they will have experienced the kingdom and their hearts will be transformed and they will come to a saving relationship with Jesus. I envision, as I know you do, a community where people matter, brokenness is healed and love is lived. And when that's real, God's kingdom We'll be right here. And that's all of what we're here for. What a powerful gift that will be. I pray this day and the next that we'll discover how to make people matter. No matter who they are, no matter what they've done, no matter what they believe, no matter how they act, but that they matter. And when that's true, Jesus will be lifted high and the kingdom will come. Praise be to God. Will you pray with me? Holy and beloved God, thank you. Thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus. For the powerful way that he loved everybody and welcomed all. 
Thank you, God, for the amazing journey that Paul and the prisoners and the sailors took because they remind us very clearly that people matter. Help us, Lord, to live our lives as if that were true so that not only may we see your kingdom, but that we can help build your kingdom. God, this is our prayer. And we lift it in the name of the one, Jesus, whom we know to be the Christ. Amen.